it was a very handy and, and sort of timely understanding to realise what we have in common rather than just sort of being this this outsider kind of journalist trying to to get a great quote from people to to dig into it to to kind of realize like on an empathetic level I suppose that that you have a lot more in common with with very different people to you than than, than you thought you realized Welcome, my evangelists. It's El Hardy on today to talk about the Pentecostal movement and how it overlaps with QA non-believers, hardcore Trumpists and Premier League footballers or soccer players. Um, she'll explain at some point what Pentecostal or Pentecostal is. I do ask her, but it's a bit like evangelical Christianity. Lots of singing and dancing and exploiting as well. El has travelled the world writing her brilliant book, Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is taking over the world and I think she's developed a bit of a kinship or affinity for the Pentecostals Um, but it is a religion that can lead to some very extreme behaviour and beliefs beyond belief as Elle will explain get her book, a link is in the show notes such is her expertise that I ask her about the exorcist that I fought and battled and exposed for his abusive relations with young women in my BBC documentary about well exorcism of course is he pentecostal am i i'm not i had a nice review by the way from dr ruin in saudi arabia last week i haven't had one from there before he gave five stars and said uh, i became a huge fan of the podcast and now two episodes a week with clapping hands colin b217 in the states gave five stars and wrote only growing Andrew is only gaining traction as he covers North Korea today. So this was a couple weeks ago. He is finding more interesting topics and guests. If you like a host that does more listening than talking, but interjects tidbits of thoughts or opinions or pressing conflicting viewpoints, you'll love this. Thank you for your kind words, both of you. That was really nice. Uh, Remember, I read all of these. Keep reviewing. They get sent to me in an email inbox. But now you're battling Pentecostal demons on the edge with L. Hardy. You write that conspiracy is the twin of prophecy. What I'm interested in is why are so many, is it QAnon, is that how you say it, uh, believers, why are they evangelical Christians and Pentecostal? And we'll get into what the difference between Pentecostal and, and all that stuff in a bit. Yeah, look, there, there are some people that, that believe in both, and there's just also a lot of overlap with both. Um, and I spoke to, to some of the guys uh, from the QAnon Anon podcast who have been covering it from the beginning, and they said, oh, yeah, some of the earliest rallies in LA and stuff, there were there were charismatics of Pentecostals there, you know, shaking and speaking in tongues and, and doing all those traditional practices. Um, so, so I guess the, the crossover is that, that both groups really believe in direct spiritual communication with a higher being and a belief in prophecy. So QAnon, what is it? It's just all prophecies that keep failing over and over again, or they're so um, uninterpretable, you know, you can say that it's actually anything else, you know, rule number 101 of, of, of astrology or, or whatever is that you don't say, you know, the date and time that something's going to happen. You make it vague enough so that anyone can believe it. Um, so, so there's very much that that crossover. But where it really got going was the Save Our Children movement. I'm not sure if you remember that, but it was sort of during the height of lockdown 2020. Um, and, and it's one of those things that really took off online. And, and it was sort of, you know, Instagram mums getting suddenly getting really into QAnon via this movement. And, and you can really see the roots of that movement in the um, charismatic Pentecostal movement um, in the United States in particular. They're not, I mean, 
in the United States, they're going to care about abortion and things like that, and the evangelical will because it's a political thing. But but they're not maybe as hung up on it as your, you know, 1980s Jerry Falwell kind of guy because these are these are very savvy groups led by young women in dynamic modern Pentecostal churches, and so they're they're really into things like um, anti-human trafficking um, with lots of air quotes and anti-human slavery, uh, which which a lot of celebrities get on board with, which all sounds very good in theory, but but it's actually really built on um on a lot of falsehoods you know they, they always say oh the biggest human trafficking day of the year is the super bowl um and, and it's not really true i mean if you're going to get trafficked or sexually abused it is 99 times out of 100 by someone that you know and these are you know these groups are not looking at oh gosh well how can we you know make family units better and make mum not have to work three jobs so that the daughter doesn't get abused by her boyfriend or whatever when she's at home you know there's never really any care for the underlying social conditions that is really what's behind um, child sexual abuse and and sex tra- sex work trafficking and things like that so, so a lot of these groups are, are have really come out of a moral panic that has been led by by some of these Pentecostal groups, which is basically anti-sex work and, you know, very much a dislike of, of the normalising, you know, the idea that sex work is work and, and those sorts of things. And this moral panic just really and spun out of control and yoga mum, yoga influencers and Instagram mums and Pentecostal Christians were all kind of in bed together. It, it was quite a strange confluence and one of those things that, that I think the pandemic probably accelerated you know everyone's just doom scrolling all night and you don't have your your friends or your family or your church network to bounce these new ideas that you're getting and then that you know we know what the algorithms do that they send you further and further down rabbit holes so i think it was one of those kind of perfect perfect storm of, of things coming together hmm. what was for those who don't know what is the QAnon? what are they what are they believing in QAnon is a movement that came out of the Trump election, I think just after he was elected, there was someone posting on a, uh, on a internet forum, 4chan, I think, think it was, um, these, uh, conspiracies that, that sounded like the ravings of a schizophrenic, um, you know, <laughs> and, um, just saying all these conspiracies were going to happen, all the celebs were going to be arrested. Um, Donald Trump was actually playing this long game. Um, Hillary was going to be arrested. They're all pedophiles. They basically saying that, that, you know, the, the elites of the world, so the celebrities, the politicians, um, the Hillary Clinton politicians, not the Donald Trump politicians, <laughs> importantly, the establishment, um, were, were running these uh, child sexual abuse rings. Um, and, and I mean, the, the interesting thing, uh, the, there's people far better versed in it to talk about it than me, is, I mean, on the general idea of it, I mean, they're kind of right. Like Jeffrey Epstein, what we know that has come out of him is that a very rich elite group of people were running a child sex trafficking ring. Um, but but obviously all the causes and the things underlying it is 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 hysterical and dangerous. You know, people have committed murder in the name of QAnon. And and I think it's fairly well established now that that um, a very dodgy guy, uh, Ron Watkins, was who was sort of running this forum board is, is probably one of, of two or three people who were behind those posts. Was he who died? There was one of them who died, wasn't there? John Ronson talked about, about him on his podcast. Oh, I'm not sure. I haven't been following it super closely, but if he's, uh, he, he also has a son that was involved. So I, I don't know if that's that, but um, yeah, I, I kind of, uh, 
took a bit of a break from following all that stuff for a while for sanity as, yeah, as you, you have to. do you have to and and it's just sort of just evolving now but it, but it basically means a conspiratorial mindedness that's generally in the radical right of US politics and it's you know so it's really into anti-vax stuff um, and you know it's spreading into you know there've been QAnon rallies in London and and Germany and Australia and um, you know it's probably crossover with the various trucker movements that, that we're seeing at the moment so it's just a a new and evolving um, anti-elitist and yeah, very conspiracy-minded movement that that seems to just evolve where it has to, or whenever it hits a wall in its own logic or whatever, it just kind of spins off into something new. I'm sure somebody will get in touch to say who it was that died because somebody somebody sort of fell off a bridge and it looked like they might have been trying to kill themselves. I can't think who that is, but someone will let me know. I'm sure. Um, you write about you know Christian dominionist movement in the US uh, which culminated in the January 6th storming of the Capitol is that also a sort of link to this QAnon and Pentecostal thing going on? Yeah with, with the political edge of the Pentecostal movement so not everyone and you know as we'll talk about Pentecostalism is far bigger outside America and, and not everyone subscribes to this but certainly there is a um, it, it's really prop. It's sort of the theological wing of a lot of the the new populist right that we're seeing around the world, and, and certainly the the Trumpism in America is very much a part of that. And, and what we're seeing is a real resurgence resurgence in uh, Christian dominionism. So it's often repackaged into ideas like the Seven Mountains Mandate um, in some other parts of the world in, into spiritual warfare. So again, in that kind of murky can mean whatever you want it to mean for your own ends um but but yeah there really has been a, a repackaged christian dominionism really taking hold in the united states and i think it's you know it's people who have lost the the democratic battle you know it's it's really taking hold in those kind of holdout red states um and it's it's you know for people who know they've lost the the demographic battle if if the uk you know, had some sort of proportional representation. Um, so if the US had a proportional representation, it'd be, you know, 60% would be voting for um, for the Democrats. I think the only, the last, um, uh, there only been two popularly elected um, US presidents in the, the last 80 years or something like that for, from the Republican Party. And one of them was George Bush after the Iraq war when, uh, yeah, you know, when, when the feeling was really sky high. Um, uh, the other one, it was it might have been Eisenhower or something like that, but but they they just know that they've lost and they're, you know, it's not going to get easier. It's the country is you know going to become majority minority and you know they they tend to swing more towards Democrats, although that is changing a little. Um, and uh, yeah, they they just know that that you know they've got to give up the ghost on the democracy and the freedom stuff, and that's what we're seeing a lot of in you know in American politics really from from Trump onwards is is saying actually no 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 it's just. Whatever we feel like, um, whoever we can stomp on, um, we're a republic, not a democracy, is is one of those things. And 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 Christian dominionism is certainly uh, fortifying. You know, is, is is one pillar of that. If, if people are religiously minded, they can turn to that for justification. Or, um, you know, people who want to take control by any means necessary. It's the oldest trick in the book to say that, you know, God anointed you. And, and so there's certainly a lot of people in power who are rediscovering some of their fundamentalist Christian roots. There are 2 billion Christians. Um, no, Well, yes, sorry, I'll say that again. There are 2 billion Christians in the world and a quarter of them are Pentecostal. So we should get into what Pentecostal really means because it's a word I think a lot of us are familiar with and we're sort of hearing it every You know, what what is it? How is it different to evangelical? Evangelism, sorry, yeah. 
Sure. So uh, I'd, I'd say it's at least a quarter of the world, world's two billion Christians. I mean, um, I think, you know, the figure's pretty credibly at 600 million now. I think it's getting closer to 700 million personally. So, so you know, we're really on the way to a third. And I think that there's a pretty fair argument that, that Pentecostal or charismatic Christianity, I put them all under the Pentecostal banner. There's a lot of different definitions, but I just say Pentecostal for ease of reference. Um, I, I think this is, it, there's a pretty fair argument that this is really turning into mainstream Christianity now. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting is that um, it was only about 6% of the world's Christians in 1980 were Pentecostal or charismatic. And now we're talking 25, 30% in, in 40 years. And, and it's really, you know, uh, particularly in places, um, it's sub-Saharan Africa, it's really taking off. And, and Latin America. Um, the, the great not so secret of, of religious movements is that you don't convert non-believers, you convert people who already believe. So they're just sweeping through Catholicism. Um, so yeah, so it started out at about 6% in, uh, even less, I think, in 1980 in Brazil, and now it's about 30% of Pentecostals. So when you think of, you know, 500 years of Catholicism, the Pentecostals are swept in in 40 and absolutely eaten their lunch. Um, and, you know, if, if things continue apace, I, I think in about a decade, there'll, there'll be more Pentecostals than um, Catholics in Brazil, which is, yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's like I can't I can't get non podcast listeners to listen to the podcast, but I can get ones from other shows who are already podcast listeners. Yeah, that that's that's the way our our, our tiny little brains work. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, someone's put the figure at about thirty five thousand people a day are converting. So that's the the capacity of lords and change. Um, each day are becoming born again. And what is it? What differentiates it from sort of normal Christianity? Is it just the, the sort of singing and clapping and stuff? <laughs> uh, so it's really, uh, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's imagine, um, I, I compare it a bit in the book to uh, Silicon Valley culture, because a lot of these guys are, um, you know, big Pentecostal leaders are reading Elon Musk biographies, not the works of Calvin, you know. Right. So, so think of like the Holy Spirit was like ripe for disruption. Um, and so it's been taken on board, but, but obviously it started um, quite a bit earlier in 1906. Um, so it, it comes from the Christian holiday of Pentecost. So 50 days after Jesus uh, was was resurrected, so so Pentecost is, is 50 days after Easter Sunday. Uh, in, in the Bible, that's when the, the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and gave them gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's Miracles, prophecy, healing, there, there are nine gifts. And, and what um, uh, Pentecostals are most famous for, which is speaking in tongues. So originally when the Holy Spirit came to the apostles, it was to um, so that they could go out into strange lands and convert people by giving them the gift of speaking in their local tongues. And, and the very first Pentecostals believed this as well. Um, quite a few of them, you know, really fervently took out set sail from Los Angeles for, for places like China and India and, you know, died of dysentery because um, they got there completely unprepared, didn't speak the language, thought that they did, you know, really, really were true believers and, and had pretty horrific deaths due to their ill preparedness. <laughs> Um, so, so it all comes from that, but, but yeah, they, these days, um, Pentecostals are really, um, big on, on a couple of things. So, so why they're so popular, um, is health and wealth. So by miracle, by prophecy, uh, by prosperity gospel, um, this is the religion of the world's working poor. Um, and 
often miracles, you know, often the only healthcare game in town is miracle, is someone laying their hands on you. Um, and so it's giving people something to believe in. Um, but but also it's it's really, Pentecostalism is really good at, at forming strong communities. So it's really become the faith of, of, of gigantic cities, of Lagos, of Sao Paulo, of London, of Los Angeles, of Seoul, of people moving there, you know, perhaps from the country or perhaps they're a, a North Korean defector and they get to Seoul and it's this gigantic technological alienating city that you know has a real competitive capitalist environment and and people that yeah defect from North Korea they get there and they they can't cope and often the church is the only place where there's some semblance of a network and a community there's you know if there's a there's a dentist that goes to your church and he knows you're a refugee he'll do your teeth um, it's giving people things that the the state often is failing to do and it, and it's really stepping in where, where people are being let down uh, traditional religious organizations have done this as well but Pentecostalism because it tends to um, come from below it tends to you know Pentecostalism in Brazil is coming out of the favelas so um, so yeah the Catholic Church might offer a bit of you know a bit of a medical clinic and and prayers for your sick mother as well but but your Pentecostal church is you know it's a local pastor who grew up in the same favela as you he speaks the same dialect as you he's mixed race like you are um, he knows the the particular things. So why it really took off in Brazil was um, the guy who who started this mega church and is a billionaire now. He knew that people couldn't go to church on Sundays because they'd have to work in the factory or have to um, be be a maid in a rich person's house. So he started um, opening church at five in the morning and at midnight because he knew when people were coming and going to and from work. So Pentecostalism has just had that way of of knowing what people want and giving it to them. Uh, and then obviously, you know, combined with the miracles that, that people are into, they, they want the direct experiences with the miraculous. They want to lay hands and heal someone or have someone lay hands on them. They, they want prophecy. Uh, and then sort of so wrapped up in all of that is then really the feel-good element. So Pentecostals uh, preach for Monday, not for Sunday. So they're preaching about your everyday life. They're making you feel inspired to go to work during the week. Um, they've always been really wonderful at music. Um, the, the sermons are really inspiring. They're, they're often more like a, like a Tony Robbins sem seminar than, than, you know, like Rev Reverend Love Joe and the Simpsons, who's just making you fall asleep. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, that Kanye West song, Jesus Walks, it's one of my favorite ever songs. And I think is that, is that that same sort of music? Is that that the tradition? Yeah. So, so his, his recent, um, I, I don't want to comment too close closely on, on him personally because he's obviously not not in the best shape um but but his real re, uh, recent religious conversion has, has been very he heavily pentecostalized so so when he was briefly going to run for president do you remember that um his running mate was a was a, pen a female pentecostal preacher oh, no. who's really heavily into to all the stuff that i've just been talking about the prophecy the miracles Right. All of that stuff and, and a lot of the stuff that he's talking about um, and, and the fact that he was originally doing Sunday service um, in Los Angeles, which was sort of breaking out of your traditional church, just forming your own group. No one has theological training. You just believe in in Jesus and <clears throat> you believe in feeling good about your faith and just getting together and having a good time and, and yeah, maybe not having to worry about all the boring sermon stuff, but just being able to sing and, and praise. That That is very Pentecostal in, in nature. Is Kanye one of the most famous Pentecostal coastal people? I mean, I don't know if he'd say directly he's Pentecostal. He, he's, you know, he, he's very much a follower of Jesus and a Christian man and all that kind of stuff. But um, if you actually see the front cover of my book, we, we got um, an old, uh, I think the old Leonardo photo of Jesus, 
uh, painting of Jesus and, and got Kanye shutter shades put on him for that reason oh, um, to, to okay. kind of show, yeah, 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 <laughs> um, to to show what, um, just to kind of give a snapshot of the faith that was kind of um, what myself and, and the person who did the artwork could, could best think of to convey what, what the faith is now. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's actually a little bit insidious the way that these I would, well, I guess, cults, but are they a cult because it's so big now? But Scientology as well as, as Pentecostal, and then you've got like the Nixium cult that was a few that you recently, you know, uh, and they've all got like celebrities at the top and they sort of get you in, isn't it? It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really push back when people say that Pentecostalism is a cult. Um, you get, I get asked about Hillsong all the time just by nature of writing about Pentecostalism and being Australian. Um, and so people are saying, oh, it's a cult, it's a cult. But no, I mean, it, it doesn't to me have any of the hallmarks. You know, it's not obsessively leader-worshipy. Um, it's, it's you know, it, people might be giving money over to it, but they're not giving their all of their, their life savings. They're, they're buying an online course and they're buying the music and the merchandise, you know. Um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a clear organised religion and, and I just think that 
a lot of kind of liberal secular people I think just find it easier to dismiss it um and it's kind of like well you know the the median Pentecostal isn't um you know isn't some old uh you know Jerry Falwell or some old white American preacher red-faced yelling about abortion it's a young woman in sub-Saharan Africa or Latin America and um and I think it's you know the kind of thing is it so easy to to dismiss their faith you know in in knowing that um and and sort of condescending I, I don't really think it's um it, it's worthwhile doing it. I think it's a serious religion that, that should be taken seriously. But doesn't it depend on how you in your in the, how how far you expand your definition of of cults? Because I think some people would say Christianity in general is a cult, and Judaism is a cult, and, and Islam is a cult as well. You know? Yeah, I mean that's that, that's probably for people far smarter than me. But but that seems like a um, a bit of a remnant of, of new atheism, which I think is. I mean, if you, if you look at the numbers now, um, like people just don't identify as atheists anymore. They they identify as nothing in particular because I, I think there was that, that real toxic element of a lot of new atheism, which was kind of sneering and, and looking down and just dismissing, saying, oh, this is a cult. And it's, well, no, this stuff has been around for, for a pretty long time. And, you know, that there's a lot of, um, you know, sociological kind of stuff behind it. You know, you can understand why there's, you know, ancient rituals and practices and why we tend to congregate in certain ways as humans and things like that. So I just don't particularly see the point myself. But Are you part of a religion, Elle? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a nun, as, as they would say, N-O-N-E, so I don't have any particular faith. I was kind of raised vaguely Catholic. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not, it's not my, it's not my thing. Um, so, so I was definitely coming to it as an outsider. What did you think of my exorcist guy? Is he Pentecostal? No. So, so that is really interesting. So he's definitely Catholic. Um, so he's got the robes on. Well, he's, he says he's Lutheran, but he's definitely Catholic, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. I mean, often look, these things tend to, to look like the local culture. And I mean, he's Argentinian, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and in Argentina, I don't think there'd be too many Lutherans, um, you know, outside from pockets of German communities. But, you know, he's got the robes. Um, so the cross, uh, a, a Pentecostal would never um, come up and, and do the cross or the bells and smells or anything like that. Even, um, even Padre. I, I don't think, yeah, you'd, you'd call yourself that. Um, but but in the way that he's made deliverance or spiritual warfare his thing, uh, that is that is very um, Pentecostal. And also that he's sort of made himself a brand. You know, he seems sort of bigger than any religious movement that he's a part of, and, and he's really the dude, you know. That is all very Pentecostal, and that is... Um, very, you know, ch charismatic. So in Latin America, the um, the Catholic Church has now got charismatic um, Catholic Christianity or, or charismatic Christian renewal movement, which they had to um, kick off from the 60s, but but really get it going in the 80s because they were just bleeding so many people to the Pentecostals. Uh, Pope John Paul II called Pentecostals um, ravenous wolves, you know, because they were stealing their flock. Um, and so this is certainly something that I that I suspect your priest uh, would be aware of that there is a kind of um, blurring of of lines now and yeah you can just go out there and and just be the dude and just be your own brand and and you don't sort of have to necessarily fit into um, into neat boxes and and do specific things anymore in faith you know people um, part of the problem is that this element of competition is that you're not competing with the with the church down the road anymore you know in america there's a you know baptist and um, methodist you know congregation 
Pentecostal in every block. You're not just competing with that guy that if, you know, you preach in a way that I don't like, I'm just going to walk down to the guy down the road next Sunday. You're competing with people on YouTube and you're competing with like, yeah, Facebook and Instagram people and all that sort of stuff, which Pentecostals are really, really good at doing that, that kind of stuff. So I think that, yeah, there, there is an awareness that, that you just don't have to be um, traditional anymore. Yeah, he's, I, I should just say, actually, I just realized for those who don't know what I'm talking about, that's my uh, exorcism film uh, on, it's on YouTube, just type my name in exorcism, it's for the BBC. And he uh, was nuts. Um, but also, he does, does a lot of selling all this different stuff. And all the things you're saying, yeah, they, they really, they really do describe him. Um, he was sort of competing with, with others, and he had his own YouTube and social media. Um, that's how I found him. So he was just all over the place. And he really didn't look that different to a, a YouTuber. He was selling all this stuff in his shop. He was always saying, no, no, the exorcisms are free. But then it's like, yeah, but you're spending the equivalent of like $100 on a little bottle of olive oil that's supposed to cure your cancer or something. Um, and that leads us on... Uh, Exit via the gift shop, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that leads us on to, I suppose, the consumerist element that you write about of the Pentecostal church. Yeah, so um, Hillsong is, is best known as, as the avatar of that, though. I mean, Hillsong's kind of in free fall at the moment, so depending on when this comes out. Uh, but, but no, Hillsong really got going um, in, in Sydney, Australia, where I'm from, in the, in the 80s uh, and the 90s. And it's strange because Australia is, is not um, Pentecostal or, or evangelical by, by any means. Um, that's very much looked down, as Australians um, call evangelicals happy clappers. Um, it's, it's sort of a faith that's looked down on it's, it's very American and strange and alien to our culture. And, and in many ways, it still is. Um, but, but Hillsong really pioneered music, which has always been a huge part of, of Pentecostalism. But, but they started making really good music that sounds like, um, sounds like something that you could hear on commercial radio or slide in at the end of your Spotify playlist without you knowing. Um, and it's that they've really pioneered that. And, and the real Hillsong and, and plenty of others have followed suit now. The whole idea is that you can be a, a Christian person in a secular world, so you can have the good stuff too. Um, you know, you don't have to live this um, uh, austere life. You know, you can enjoy yourself. You can, you can enjoy your faith. You go to church, you feel uplifted, and you get on with your day. You don't, you know, go to church to be bored or terrified into submission about hellfire. Um, and so the consumer angle for it from that, so, so it really is, um, like you were saying, it's, yeah, come in, you know, they, they make probably at most, 20, at absolute most 20% of, of their money through tithing. You know, that, that's kind of old hat now. It's about, it's about buying the music. It's about buying the merchandise. It's about going to the stadium spectacular. It's about, um, you know, doing a Bible study with your girlfriends and, they call it spiritual Tupperware because you kind of buy the courses and then try to get your girlfriends over and sort of sell it, sell more of it to them. Um, and they sort of wind up being almost multi-level marketing, but, you know, for biblical education. Um, so, yeah, they, they've absolutely mastered that. And, and that's, that's become, you know, I mean, Hillsong's really swept, swept the world, but, but so many other um, churches are, are, are really starting to look much more like that. What's all the controversy coming out about Hillsong? So Hillsong being the, the mega Pentecostal church, uh, and there's a big thing coming out about its, its founder, Brian Houston, like right now. Yes. Uh, so I do have to be careful a little because... I'm Australian and you're in Britain. Allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. You know, he, he has a big court case coming up at the end of the year. So I think a lot of people were keeping their powder dry. Um, so his, his late father um, was, 
it will now is, is acknowledged to have been a child sexual abuser of, of, of little boys in, in his parish and, and all the pretty awful stuff that we've heard come out in, in other things. Um, it is now alleged that, that Brian Houston helped cover, cover this up when he found out about it, when he was leading the, the family church that then turned into Hillsong. Uh, so he goes on trial in, in Sydney in, in November, I believe, for this and has said that he you know denies the charges and he'll defend it vigorously. Um, so a, a lot of people in the church were certainly very wary of this, um, but, but he had to set, he, he'd stepped aside um, pending fighting these charges, but he had to step down completely last week uh, because it came out there was a church investigation and he had uh, two moral failings. So one was sending inappropriate texts to a, to a female congregant. And the other was spending time in a um, in another congregant's hotel room um, when he said he was drunk and and had migraine medication. Uh, but but yeah, considering a lot of senior pastors, I mean, most notably Carl Lentz, who was Justin Bieber's you know famous Justin Bieber's pastor, who all the NBA players you know used to go to Hillsong in in New York to see Carl Lentz. He had to step down um, in 2020, I think it was um, during the pandemic because of his moral failings, um, having you know affairs left, right, and center, and and all of that and a few other preachers have had to step down for moral failings as well and and Houston stuff has been I'd certainly heard about this for a while and it was certainly known within the church for a little while so I think it is it's very much watch this space as to why it came out now you know is there is there kind of an internal power struggle going on um and and anyway just this week uh, a host of American um pastors have, have left the Hillsong umbrella you know some people might have had churches and they came in under Hillsong umbrella you get you know you give them five percent of your turnover and you get the name and the training and it's you know it's a franchise operation it's almost like a McDonald's you know um and quite a few um prominent pastors have, have now walked away from Hillsong and, you know, they'll take their, their congregants with them. Um, so I think at last count, it, it could have been like nine out of 16 or something in America. Um, so, so the brand is just now so toxic. And when you've built up your church as a brand and as, you know, a really a fairly commercial entity that, that doesn't look too different to Uber or McDonald's or, or something like that, um, it's, you you live by the you live by the almighty dollar you die by the almighty dollar um so i think it's um you know and a lot of people um within the churches i think were starting to organize and they were waiting to keep their powder dry until the outcome of the court case and they've just sort of said no enough um so they're either walking away or or, or organizing within their own churches um to um a lot of people want the Houston's out um, and and what was really sadness for a long time really seems to have turned to anger from you know I get a lot of people contacting me um, and and so yeah I, I think I think the church is in trouble I mean evangelical leaders are famous you know every everyone can think of someone that comes to mind that that you know had some sort of indiscretion and then appears on television in tears and and comes back and and they're forgiven you know these people that believe in being born again and repenting your sins um, but uh, I I don't know I, I think that the, the at least the Houston family name is is in a lot of trouble in its connection with the Hillsong Church, and I'm not sure the church will ever be as strong and powerful as it has been. Let's just put it that way. It's like it will be ringing a lot of alarm bells. People listening, just this thing of you know child sexual abuse cover ups and stuff like that. I mean, I, I'm maybe I'm being unfair, but do you think the kind of person who does seek to get on stage and, and feel like they can channel God might have issues with, you know, either narcissism or psychopathy or just something that they're covering up And in general. Is, is that why you might, it's, it seems like there's a higher percentage of these people with moral failings. Very, very much so. So they're, um, uh, preachers are, you know, charismatic in the theological sense, in that, you know, 
filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what charisma comes from. But but they're charismatic in the the sense that you and I understand the word. And and to get to something like the top of Hillsong, you are the most charismatic guy in the room. You're, you know, if you ever read stuff about um, Bill Clinton at, at the height of his powers, he was, you know, they said you would you'd be talking to him and feel like you were the only person in the room. He remembered everyone's names and their children and that kind of thing. It's that that intense personal charisma that that gets people to come in with you. So so Carl Lentz, you know, that all of a sudden has Justin Bieber and all these NBA players, you know, guys who have it all suddenly following him around everywhere and being personal spiritual advisor. Um, it's, it's yeah, the people who make it to the top of something like Hillsong are incredibly good at what they do. Um, so some people, you know, there are some incredible pastors who are really caring and good people and and really devoted to, to their flocks that, that kind of have this charisma. But, but I think, yeah, certainly somewhere... Um, Certainly, the, the power and authority that that this charisma gives them um, is is things that we have, um, shall we say, seen before in other churches. That that you know, when people do believe that you have a special gifts and special authority and leave you with their children and things like that, just tends to be a pattern that repeats itself. Or you know, leave you with the young women who are in your thrall. You know, um, it does seem to be a problem. Um, but but yeah, you just don't get to to be a, a Hillsong pastor without having an incredible, almost yeah, political personal charisma for sure. And that's uh, a lot of that is the bad side of, of Pentecostal stuff. But you spent you know for, right for Beyond Belief, your brilliant book you spent uh, years sort of around the world meeting all different people from different types of Pentecostal communities did you ever feel uh, attracted to, to the allure of Pentecostal churches was there something in it that you thought oh I'm sad to be leaving this behind afterwards um yeah like like I said I, I've met some some really wonderful communities particularly in uh, South Africa and Mozambique actually particularly Mozambique uh, met met some really wonderful people um, there's actually a, a famous American televangelist that very blonde um you might say has had a bit of work done uh has a private jet you know you know the type i'm talking about um heidi baker she, she basically runs all the orphanages in mozambique and this is the ninth poorest country in the world that came out of a horrendous civil war in the 90s and she was the only one that was actually in there you know doing anything um and, and putting together these orphanages and they're you know sometimes their um religious education makes me flinch a little but but again these are the only places for you know abandoned kids and kids whose parents had died in civil war and everything and and you know I met quite a few of these kids who, who grew up through these orphanages and um and they're amazing people and you know we, we went to the rubbish tip to feed all the people who live on top of the rubbish tip you know bread in in their own time and they do that kind of stuff and they're they're wonderful people and they are you know really putting together wonderful communities that are very very traditional you know there's this is um you can see especially in some parts of, of South Africa in apartheid this was the only place where you could sort of be publicly and en masse African and so it's often a real celebration of traditional culture and traditional dance and very much fused with Pentecostalism and it's a great thing that Pentecostal does it looks and feels like the traditional culture as I was kind of kind of talking about before um so, so there were some some really wonderful and interesting and and fun people you know in, in um yeah Mozambique in particular you know they they really took me in and 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 I would have loved to have stayed longer but a little thing called the pandemic uh, hit the world. Um, yeah, and look, I was certainly, I, I did a, a fa- I went on a faith healing uh, journey, as I think we're doomed to call it, in in, in Johannesburg. And um, yeah, and it turned out to be a really lovely thing. You know, this is a kind of one shop kind of guy. It's a, 
very syncretic. It almost, you know, would have looked a lot like a traditional um, Zulu or, or Southern African healing. Um, the guy, you know, could, would have been a Sangoma in another life, which was, you know, just a traditional kind of shaman healer. Um, and it was very sweet. And, and you know, he kind of it turned out he cared about me. And young young women tend to go to him for problems, you know, it's of the heart or fertility and things like that. And I was going through a bad breakup and he, like, kind of saw something in me. And it was actually very um, – it was – yeah, it was very touching. And, and that kind of moment when you, yeah, realise that, that people aren't, you know, aren't just getting into this for, for the private jets and that. They are genuinely caring people who are taking on traditions and who – and who believe, you know, they're, um, for, I do talk a lot about the political and social aspects of Pentecostalism more in my book because I'm a idiot journalist and this is the stuff that I understand that I'm attracted to. I'm, I'm certainly not a theologian. Um, but, but sometimes that just doesn't remind myself that, that yeah, these are, these are true believers. These are, these are guys who, who want to walk in the footsteps of Christ and you do meet some, some really genuinely good kind caring people and so so yeah that was that was quite it was quite a lovely experience you know especially from from all the craziness did he did he help you um did he well i mean there's a whole chapter in the book that he was trying to make me kill these chickens to get the bad spirits out of me and gave me all sorts of bush hallucinogens so i was (laughs) (laughs) i was violently ill um and just high as high as anything um so the ritualistically not really but but I think it kind of um I don't know if like like metaphysically is the right word but but I think I did kind of have the moment I went you know I was opening to this and I think I was hoping that it would like something would happen to me a bit and um it was just kind of humbling I suppose I'd say um to kind of have that um that experience and realize that you're much more open to things than, than you realize and that you I mean, you just want the good things to happen to you. You want to feel better, you know, wanted wanted to, to, to finally get over, you know, the end of a bad breakup and all of that and, you know, by any means necessary. So so I think it kind of, if nothing else, it, it, it made me understand the people I was writing about a lot better, which I think is, is, is no doubt a good thing. You know, this is a... This is a faith of young women, largely around the world. Um, it, there are much more women tend to go to, to Pentecostal churches than men. So, so it was a it was a very handy and, and sort of timely understanding to 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 realise what what you know what what we have in common, rather than just sort of being this this outsider kind of journalist trying to to get a great quote from people to to dig into it to to kind of realise like on an empathetic level, I suppose, that, that you have a lot more in common with, with very different people to you than, than, than you thought you realised. It, it, it's, it's very humbling and, and a nice thing to happen. There's also that thing of, because um, I had uh, a science writer called David Robson on and he writes, he wrote a book called The Expectation Effect. And it was basically, he, he was showing how uh, even when you know that something is placebo, like they've shown in studies that if you take a placebo pill knowing it's placebo, it still has a really positive effect. It's just that act of feeling like you've done something to help the pain um and i looked into it a lot of course as well having done that exorcism film because the the people the young women again it was young women so i guess that's an interesting point as well who were uh you know exercised and they had all these different problems like schizophrenia and stuff they got much better they had you know proper medical conditions that they were in uh psychiatric wards for uh, and it was only about you know a year later a year and a half later i think i went back and then they were like bad again. So the placebo, I mean, it can only work for so long. And hopefully in that time, you might sort yourself out. But I suppose, you know, if you do sort yourself out, the problem is when you don't seek psychiatric help because of that, and then you're sort of delaying it. Why do you think, 
why do, do you think there's a reason women are, are attracted to these types of faith healing and stuff more often? Yeah, well, well so just, just back on, on what you're saying, because there was um, in, in my chapter on, on faith healing in South Africa and Mozambique, um, there, there was a really interesting study done at one of, of that American lady Heidi Baker's churches in the north of Mozambique. I was trying to get up there, but there's a it's about the only place in the world where ISIS is still active. Um, it was in that tiny corner of northern Mozambique, um, and they they were yeah they were kind of moving in again. Um, so it wasn't safe to be up there, and especially not with Christian churches. But um, the some American academics, uh, Heidi Gunther Brown from I think Indiana State University, and a few others went over there um, in in 2011 I think 2014, and they did experiments you know with people who are hard of hearing. Um, and and you know had odometers and things like that and and did you know did a traditional Pentecostal ceremony where um, you know the entire village kind of comes out and um, and lays hands and does all of this and and she said you know it was a really profound life changing experience when you see people who who clearly can you know have have you know a couple of percent hearing and then after this sort of thing they 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 were certainly able to hear things again. Um, and yeah, she, she's done some interesting research and, you know, people want to dismiss it, but, but there is something to it. I mean, they actually found at the time, so it's called intercessory prayer and they, they did some sort of follow-up research and, and one of them was trying to do it via, you know, Zoom. Um, and, and she said, yeah, it had absolutely no effect. And I think that there is something powerful and something at play that we probably don't understand. You know, it's not a, a matter of um, of everyone coming to, to pray the disability away and suddenly you get up and, and walk again. But but there is something, I think, in um, intangible and there's still a lot that we don't know. You know, we're only just finding out all, all that really fascinating stuff about the placebo effect. And I think that there, there is more to it that, that we need to, to learn and study from, from these things. And, and my conclusion was, you know, in, in all that wider stuff I was talking about is that, you know, when miracles are the only game in town, sometimes they happen. And I, I really came away, I think that kind of really transformed my, my overall belief system was that I realised, A, I was quite open to miracles happening. Uh, B, then I really liked the sound of them. There's still a, a difference, isn't there, between the belief in, in miracles happening because of the extraordinary effects of the brain. And I think, I mean, have you, Darren Brown does some really interesting stuff on that. He has a show called Miracle where he gets people up on the stage and he says, you know, I don't believe in the paranormal at all, but I can get you up here and I'll cure your blindness. I'll, I'll help your hearing. I'll cure your bad leg. And he literally does that. He grabs people up and he, they, you know, they couldn't see it then they read in front of him. And he's saying, like, this is not paranormal. This is just, these are tricks of the mind I'm doing on you. And they still work. The suggestion being that it's just our minds are incredible and there are just ways to access different parts of them. Yeah, well, that's what Candy Gunther Brown, who ran the study, she's been saying. I, I think that she said it, she, it, there's a good chance it's related to the power of suggestion or something like that. Um, but she said, you know, it's certainly, certainly worth finding out more about for sure. It's amazing. Was, for you, so was it that? Or was there part of you going, oh, you know what, maybe I now believe in like paranormal stuff did that ever happen yeah 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 no I, did I, I did kind of go yeah I think well yeah I, th I think that there's just stuff that we don't know and that we don't understand yet this is kind of my way of saying it but I but I do believe that miracles are possible even though I'm not a person of faith you know just I, I'm not sure what it is maybe one day I will find out it's some particular physics energy thing um you're converted I, <laughs> I did. The, 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 trust me, I had a lot of people trying to convert me, um, but, but that's the closest I got. So I don't know, um, maybe, maybe I'm inching. Oh, wow. They got you. They got you. They got me. Yeah. Oh, my word. That's cool. Um, <laughs> it's got to happen. I mean, you're hanging around with these people for a long enough time and who knows? You know, I don't know. Um, tell me why you wrote something about Premier League footballers, um, soccer players for people outside of the UK. Um, 
well, I guess, yeah, that's pro- well, America and Australia, really, isn't it? And Canada, probably say soccer. Yeah, 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 soccer, yeah. Um, why are so many of them Pentecostals? Lucas Moura in particular is one, because I watched, he's a Tottenham Brazilian player. He's just constantly, he's half the time he's playing and trying to score goals, and half the time he's like looking at the sky, like pointing at things. And it's like, what are you doing, Lucas? Well, yeah, look. I'd say that as a Tottenham player, God can't save him. Um, but... <laughs> I should say that Elle and I have had some some uh, top. I don't I hate the word banter. Some f- football debate rivalry on online because she's an Arsenal fan, and, I, and it, for anyone who doesn't know, those are the the big rival. I don't know what an equivalent like American sport, the New York Mets against the New York Yankees. I'm sure they're different sports, aren't they? But but <laughs> which ones? Mets is. Um, no, Yankees is baseball. Yeah, Mets is basketball. So it'd be like, um, it's, it's American sporting rivalries are really weird. Um, it's, yeah, very difficult to get into. But yeah, just, just two teams that, that hate each other. Yeah, the most because of proximity to each other and nothing else. Um, yeah, so I actually did a piece for, for the Sunday Times a few months ago, just because um, I explain, I was, would use it as a way of explaining to people who weren't really religious that, um, that all these Premier League players are converting. And they, they really tell the, the global story, right? So, so Lucas Moura, he's a young Brazilian guy, um, you know, is, is having a good time playing the game that he loves in Brazil, gets picked up by, by Paris Saint-Germain, one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, moves over to a country where he doesn't know anyone, doesn't know the language, um, but he's, you know, got this amazing opportunity to change his life, the life of his family, you know, probably for generations, just by, by virtue of the amount of money that he's earning. So, so I, I imagine that con- concentrates the mind quite a lot. Um, but yeah, he got to this huge new city, not knowing anyone, you know, having this amazing opportunity and he felt alienated and he felt lonely <laughs> and that's, um, that, that's pretty normal. So he, he started going to, um, I think it was actually a Hillsong church in Paris, um, maybe with some other Brazilian players. So yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of them tend to go to these big mega churches because they'll say, you know, oh, all the, you know, there's Brazilian people here who might happen to be working or whatever. So you form, find a little community within this huge church of Brazilians, and then you can have, you know, barbecues each weekend, and you can find people that you can talk to about your language and missing home and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so they become real support networks, even for, you know, insanely rich, talented people whose lives that we like to think we all envy. But I mean, I imagine being a Premier League player would, would suck. Like you couldn't go outside. You know, without everyone knowing, either wanting to punch you or, or take take their photo with you. You know, um, so so yeah, he he's really that story and, and the faith, because it's that it's that born again moment. So it's that demarcation of life before and after. So you you know you're over in Paris and you're feeling really miserable, um, and then you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, you probably grew up with this kind of Catholicism, whatever, but maybe you weren't practicing it so much. But but it's already in your understanding of the world. Um, but then you're born again, you accept Jesus, you know, you do your full immersion in the, in the backyard swimming pool, like all the Liverpool Brazilian players do, um, Roberto Firmino's pool, <laughs> they, they all get dunked in. Um, and then, um, you know, and then suddenly you, you might feel peace again and you've got this community and, and you are starting to look at things in your, you know, prism through maybe God gave me these talents and this is what I can do with it and I can do better for the world and, and all those sorts of things. And, and then suddenly they feel like their lives getting better and maybe they meet a wife at the church. And and then they have kids and those sorts of things. So so it just becomes this real deep, clear demarcation of, of your life before and after. And that becomes really powerful to people. And then 
you know, there, there's a really big thing of testimony. So it's really good to keep going out and telling your story and that helps convert other people. Um, that, that's a, a really powerful notion in Pentecostal churches and, and that certainly happens. Um, the, the other Pentecostal um, footballer that, that I always talk about is Bukaya Saka because he, he's, he's a kind of different um, way of explaining it as well. But, you know, he's, his parents um, emigrated to London from, from Lagos um, just before he was born. And, um, you know, very religious people um, grew up, Pentecostalism is, is probably the main form of Christianity in, in Nigeria. Um, and, and for someone like him, he's, you know, he's very godly. He didn't have to con convert, you know, be born again. He was already in this. But it's a way of being a Nigerian kid in a big city like London. You know, so you're out in London, you're playing your football, you're rich beyond your wildest dreams. You've, you know, you've got friends probably of all different races and cultures and things like that. But, but this is a way of, of still being a, um, a Yoruba boy from Lagos, you know, probably with connecting with grandma back in Lagos saying, yeah, I'm going to church and singing the songs, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so that winds up being, um, that winds up being, yeah, a really powerful thing as well. So, so I kind of always use those two examples. Um, but, but yeah, we just see so, so many players are, um, are converting and, um, and it seems to be a really big part of, I mean, you see how many do that when they score. Um, it just seems to be a really big part of life and, and part of that, that culture in what must be a very bizarre world that they live in pointing up at the sky when they score and stuff i find i always find that i think my issue with it is like it's so narcissistic this idea of like god of all if you believe in god which i don't but if you do that he wants me to win my football game because i've prayed more and it's really interesting i think what you're saying about how experience can shape your beliefs so obviously his experience is like i've prayed loads and i've become this fantastic footballer with these amazing talents and money and everything so it must be true i i was i think that can work with politics sometimes as well and i read an interesting article a while ago by uh, Martin Samuel is a sports writer in the Daily Mail um, about I think it's like that that sports players are nowadays expected to engage in a lot of quite socialist things particularly quite woke things sometimes um, and yet they likely have and most sports people historically have had quite uh, well they're quite fond of capitalism and because they see it as meritocracy because they saw that they worked extremely hard from nothing and went to the top so they are big believers often in social mobility and they don't they, they they're less likely to see uh the social issues and things so it's really interesting to see like how those experiences they've got really unique experiences these huge stars don't they yeah very much so and i mean if you see um it's quite interesting in brazilian culture because it's um players are, tend to be more political i mean they obviously um have it you know beaten into them from the second you get to academy or whatever it's like do not talk about you know gay like if you don't like gays you know do not talk about it or or be very public so so you don't you only really see snippets of, of people's faith i can kind of put stuff together more talks about it much more than others do um but all these brazilian guys were yeah especially in the premier league were, were reconverting in, in london and and really getting behind bolsonaro because he had a huge evangelical um swing behind him and um there was a certain t-shirt that you would wear when you're playing for brazil i think it was like a yellow t-shirt or something and that would indicate that you're a bolsonaroista sorry can't say that properly and um, yeah, it was kind of your way of, of saying that, yeah, you're on board with the program and, and it's been really divisive. And so sometimes people wouldn't wear the, maybe it was wearing the Brazilian shirt, I can't remember. And then so anti, people who are anti-Bolsonaro wouldn't wear the Brazilian team shirt anymore. They would wear a different, like one of the colours as a representation. And it's been this, this really big thing because, yeah, they obviously can't come out and say, you know, what Bolsonaro's really big thing is, you know, that they're, they're going to make your five-year-old boy wear a dress to school and, you know, like really like anti-gay and very just, just horrible moral panic kind of stuff. 
Um, and so you can't be coming out and saying that publicly. So it's all very winks and nods and, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And, it, it, you know, it's been from guys like that wouldn't traditionally say like William Borges, the, the guy who played for Chelsea and then um, Arsenal, you know, he's a, he's a black kid from a favela and, you know, he's a, he's a raging Pentecostal and um, Bolsonaro fan. Yeah. That it's all that, the kind of winks and, and nods that, that you get to know this stuff. I think I remember Lucas tweeting something in support of Bolsonaro that might, I might be misremembering. Yeah, no, he did. Um, they, they tend to do it on Instagram stories. Um, so it's not out, you know, in forever, but it's only if someone screen captures it or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, the Brazilian guys, I think things just, you know, football and politics is, is inseparable, um, in Brazilian culture, I think. Is it, what, what's homophobia like in, in Pentecostal communities? Oh, it's, it's, it's really intense. It's the big global, um, it's a big global issue that, you know, um, I I think, you know, abortion in America was, you know, a real political invention, um, you know, to, to get people on, on board with a conservative religious program, you know, you say, what's the worst thing? Oh, do, do you condone like killing fetuses in the womb? And no one's going to, you know, say that, say that without, no one's going to be like, yeah, you know, without context sort of thing. And, and so, um, you know, in, in, in large parts of the world, you know, abortion can, can be a necessary thing for a woman's survival or whatever. So it's just not such a big issue in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa or, or, or in Latin America. Um, but, but gay, gay marriages and, uh, gay, gay rights are, and there's actually within Pentecostalism, there's a really interesting, um, tendency, I suppose I'd call it, called, called reverse evangelism. So they say, hang on, like, come on, you guys in, in the West, you you guys brought us the good news. You told us about Christianity and stuff. We're like really good Christian nations. And now we look over there and, and the gays are getting married. Um, and, you know, so it's really you've lost your way. That They, they um, always mention that um, the Austrian drag queen who won Eurovision can shoot a verse, you know, who sort of had the blonde hair and a beard. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, always mentioned things like that, um, which interestingly, when I when I sort of lived in Russia and Ukraine, they mentioned her as well a lot. Yeah, well, Putin's been on about that, hasn't he? He's been using J.K. Rowling. Yeah, it was. It's been a really big thing for a long time. Yeah, um, and so there, um, yeah, gay marriage is sort of the tends to be the big issue, which is why this is why oh the West has lost its way. We need to help make it a Christian nation again, and and that's why I think you're seeing starting to see in America a real doubling down on on a lot of more traditional gay stuff, you know, when, when you kind of can see that, you know, they know that they've lost the battle in America. Um, but they also know that, that when they do their, their YouTube sermon, that they've got a ton of people tuning in from Nigeria, um, who might, you know, click on that donate button if they, if they start saying, oh, what's really caused, you know, all the problems in America is gay marriage. And, and so, yeah, it's, um, unfortunately, I think it's really rearing its head again. And, and then some, you know, pretty ugly American and British, um, far right Christian groups, you know, will, will fund a lot of, um, homophobic legislation in, in places like Uganda and, and things like that. So, so it's, it's pretty nice. That's sad. Again, because I keep banging on about this YouTube course I did, right? And I even wrote in my little newsletter about uh, about how YouTubers are like. You're an evangelist now. I know. I'm evangelizing with my letters, my newsletters. Um, I wrote about how you like YouTubers are sort of. And again, I'm using the the looser definition of cult, but they are, they have to be sort of cult leaders to to a degree. Um, and you need to have one of the main sort of rules that you need if you're going to create a community like that is is to have non-believers uh, that you're always rallying against. So it makes sense that they sort of picked something. And I saw, again, that John Ronson podcast series was fascinating about how abortion became a big thing in the 60s in America because it was Mm. just like this. It was just because feminists were the enemy. It was just that. And then abortion became this huge thing. Yeah, desegregation of schools was was really the big thing um, that was behind it all. Yeah. 
yeah, they, they couldn't they couldn't say we. Um, uh, so Brown versus Board of Education. Um, there's a really good piece uh, uh, on the history of it in the Atlantic a couple of years ago, I think. Um, but but yeah, they they couldn't. It just didn't. People didn't want to say out loud to a pollster or really vote for someone that said, yeah, I don't want that little black five-year-old girl down the road going to my kid's school. So they basically yeah, invented abortion as this mass issue that people could get behind and then it could be about states' rights and therefore if states have their own rights and um, and can do their own legislation, then they can do the do the schools the way that they want. So, um, yeah, that, that was sort of where it all came from. That's different to what John Ronson's story was. I get, maybe it's probably both and a couple of others. It's probably a few different things. But for him, it was it, in his podcast, it was a story about uh, a, a pastor's son in the 60s, I think, who wanted to be this big filmmaker. And he was just thinking of something to make films about for, for the pastor, for his dad, to show off to his dad. So he made this one about abortion. And nobody was interested in it. None of the, none of the pastor's followers, they were like, well, we don't. that's not high on our agenda at the moment. And then um, these basically eventually like a feminist newspaper or something got wind of it and went to protest about this film that nobody was watching anyway and because they went down to protest all the evangelists came out and went crazy and then suddenly abortion was like number one in their agenda so again it's just that thing of i guess it's probably a mixture of all those different sort of stories and it becomes just this culture war rather than actually the issue yeah well, well i mean you see all the evangelical leaders like jerry Falwell and stuff um they when Roe v Wade happened, they they initially were fine with it. They they didn't speak against it. I think he's actually on record as saying it was he or Billy Graham or someone was saying, yeah, it's fine, whatever. You know, women be women. Um, <laughs> uh, and it was the Catholics that, that came out against it. And then so things like the Council for National Progress were formed and the Moral Majority, which started getting the hardline Catholics together with the evangelicals and saying, right, you know, we need to stop this counterculture, this feminism. Um, yeah, abortion's your thing, whatever. And, and then, yeah, they started, um, yeah, doing all this polling and 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 the for the evangelicals, the big thing because they were mostly, you know, southern um, southern whites who who liked the segregation. Um, so their big thing was school issues, and they they kind of came together and found that um, the best polling idea, you know, they they had pollsters that were just trying to work out what the real hot button issue could be, and it, and it turned out to be abortion. I hate everyone. <laughs> I just hate everyone. I know. Oh, I know. God. No, I love everyone who listens to this, but I hate yes. all the non-believers. Um, and I, yeah, and, and I love, yeah, I will say I love everyone that, anyone that, that buys my book. As I say, yeah. the most important thing is is, is yeah. that you buy it, not that you read it. I love people who buy <laughs> Elle's book and give five-star ratings. Those are the people that I love. They give five-star ratings and Goodreads, even if they haven't read it, um, I think so, and who get on my newsletter. But, uh, but we're, right. yeah, God, we're going to have that. We're evangelizing. We're starting. We should start. <laughs> we're on a, a unity ticket, yeah. <laughs> start a show. <laughs> 